Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'd like for you to imagine that you have a friend that has an inside track on event tickets. Okay? And this person has come up with a set of the most coveted event tickets that you could want. Now, I realize that we got a, a diverse crowd here, so uh, what Carolyn may enjoy, Rick may not, and, and Cheryl may enjoy something different than Kelly. But let's, for a moment, imagine that we're kind of right down the middle of society, and the tickets being offered to us are a combo pack to Taylor Swift concert and to the Super Bowl. So there's something for everybody, right? Now these tickets, they have cost a pretty penny. But your friend has gotten them. He has arranged for not only your entrance into the events, but for your travel, for your hotel. I mean, you won't have to get out your wallet at all. It's going to be a party. So... You're invited, so you go and get your calendar, because after all, you're a very scheduled person. And you notice on the dates involved that you already have penciled in that you're going to watch a movie that you've already seen, and that the rest of the night you have scheduled for an intense game or games of, of solitaire on your telephone. So having that written down there, you politely say to your friend, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Now, would other people have the right to call you a knucklehead? Yeah, I would think so, right? I mean, here you have this chance to do something uniquely different, and you're just going to sit around and do something that you could do any night. Do you think your friend's going to offer you Something similar next year. No, I don't think so. Do you think they're going to be your friend anymore? No, probably. I I don't think so. And yet, what I'm describing is just in terms of what we can grasp hold of right here in our society. What's really being offered is so, so much more bigger And better than that. Yet, how do you describe it? We are talking alike about eternal life with God. How do you wrap your mind around it? What words do you use? In both the Old Testament and the Gospel lesson, uh, God chooses to use a banquet, a feast, a feast of a king. Now, in our crowd today could be some people that don't really enjoy weddings. So when you get the invitation, you're like, oh, no, got to go to a wedding. Maybe I can make an excuse. I mean, I, I can understand that. But to the people at Jesus' time, and certainly the people hundreds of years before Jesus, what did they do for entertainment? What was available to them? A wedding was the biggest thing there was. Food. Food was just enough to get by. 
But when you're invited to a king's banquet where there's the best of food until you can have all that you want and, and there's the best of wine, that is something you don't get a shot at very often. So that's how God describes it for them. And what's the message you should hear? Eternal life is what? Some people think it's got to be boring, right? Because church is boring, right? And anything eternal, come on. Three hours is about my limit, and then I want to go home. But this is the best party ever. That's what God's saying. It is not something that's not fun or engaging. It is tremendous. How else could you look at it? Well, maybe, I don't know how observant you are or just how well things are going for you in your life right now. But I hope you've observed that this life has got a few little problems to it, you know, or big old problems to it. And usually when big problems come, they come in sets. They just don't come alone. And they roll over you, and sometimes they crush you. And even in the best of times, if you're observing it, there's something wrong with it all. And it's sin and the curse, and it's part of your existence, and it's all that you know. But do you have the imagination to imagine life without sin and the curse at all. It's all taken away. No more crying. No more pain. No more hunger. No more thirst. No more frustrating garbage. No more getting stuck on a bridge going to Kentucky. All kinds of stuff like that. Gone. And then there's the part that, that's really hard for us to wrap our mind around. Of seeing God face to face. Everybody in the Bible who shares an experience of looking at God isn't actually looking at God. They are given a vision because if they were given the actual thing, it would kill them. But when we go there, minus our sinful flesh, that won't be the fact. We'll be able to look at God's glory, his intense, beautiful, enthralling glory. And we'll be able to see Jesus and know that we've known him and relate to him completely. And it'll be the highlight, really, of all things. And then one more I'll throw in there, and maybe you don't hear this too often. That our eternal life will be an endless adventure. God's going to remake heaven and earth. He's going to remake us. So that we have, quote unquote, from Corinthians, a spiritual body in it. I'm pretty sure what that means is that you'll be able to move through this planet, the new planet, to the rest of the universe, to heaven itself. You will have... All of God's creativity to explore, you just won't exhaust it. And that's what's on the table 
And that's what he wants to give to you. In fact, who does he want to give it to you? He wants the, the story that we have, the parable and the gospel lesson. God is certainly saying, I wanted to give it to the Jewish nation. They were people I chose. They have a special place in my heart and my experience. And I wanted to give it to them. But by and large, not entirely, but by and large, they have walked away from it. Now, the story makes it sound like because the Jewish nation turned it down, now he's got to think about giving it to other people. That's not the way God's plan worked. We were always in the mix. All nations were always in the mix. And God wants us there. And so he's reached out to get you there. And I'd like for you to think about how that came to be so for you. Through some route, somehow, God's word and God's grace reached you and connected to you. And I hope has created eternal life in you. And if that still hasn't happened for somebody... Maybe it's happening now. Which leads a question that is, I'm sure, frustrating to God. And that is why it's frustrating to me and frustrating to you. If all this is given, and it is given freely, ah. How can people reject such a thing? What on earth is wrong with them? Truly, they they can't believe the reality of, of what's being extended to them. But they are also discounting the reality of what the alternative is. If if Christ is rejected, then what is left? You don't get to have your pick. You don't get to just not exist. You don't get to come back as somebody else's dog. You you don't get to have a second shot at it through another life. The Bible's explanations get you a long way there, but not all the way there as far as understanding why people would reject such a thing. 1 Corinthians 2.14, I think a very pivotal passage. And it says, A man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So there it uses the word cannot. And clearly, the Holy Spirit has to do something to a person in order to get them through where they can connect with the promise and to be saved. What that is, I would love to know. Do they have to change your brain? Does it have to change your thoughts? Does it have to change your soul? Does it have to train, change your adrenal system? I don't know. But something's got to change, and the Holy Spirit has to do it And yet, clearly, the Holy Spirit doesn't succeed for the majority of people. Because God wants all people to be saved, and yet few are. So we look to another passage, 
that's, you know, equally as frustrating, I guess. John three nineteen. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Does that describe it? An intense love for, for what is evil causes people to turn away, to reject God, to, to hate Him, to, to think that evil presents something better? Or maybe the parable's insight. People told the, the, the servants who brought the invitation, I'm, I am busy. And so you get engaged with the things of this world and you think nothing further than the things of this world as if they're going to go on forever. But they might not go on as long as you even think. And then what do we learn from experience? I don't know you learn that, that people let you on the inside. A lot of people nod and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then nothing. And some people are totally taken in by the different teachings of this world and think that there's proof for them and don't want to look any further into it to find that there isn't proof for them. It isn't something in the end that is proven to you. It's something that gets inside of you. And so becomes true what now gets to be my second least favorite passage in the Bible. I've told you before what my least favorite one is, right? Matthew 7, 13 and 14. If I could take a marker and blot it out, I would, but I got to live with it. Broad is the road. Wide is the path. That leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Narrow is path. Narrow is the door that leads to life, and only a few find it. And I hate the word few in that context. But this passage, this parable has this one instead. I'll make it second, only because it seems slightly more poetic. Many are invited, but few are chosen. So tragic. It's tragic for many reasons. One, human beings, we are created to be eternal beings. We don't get to pick whether we're eternal beings. That's what we are. We had a beginning, yes, but we will not have an end. You can kill our bodies, but that just merely moves you. You're going to be somewhere else, conscious of somewhere else. And you are either for the God who created you or against him. There's no middle territory where you get to kind of ignore him, yet you don't really hate him. No, you're either with him or completely forsaken by him. And when you're forsaken by him... You truly can't wrap your mind around the desperate agony of that. The best shot that you got, really, in understanding that 
is to look at the story of Jesus and see him on the cross and hear him crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is the closest you're going to get, hopefully ever, unless you actually go there. So you're either for God or against him. And the extreme nature of the punishment, you know, it seems very disproportional. I mean, we do evil in life, but we only do it for 90 years. And maybe it's not that terribly destructive. And yet the result can be eternal suffering. That seems disproportionate, does it not? And yet when you consider what God has done to to save us from that, the gift of his son, the suffering of Jesus on the cross, suddenly that disproportionality goes away. You are damned for your sins, but you're damned for also throwing away, throwing away the salvation that was offered to you. And that comes up in, in the uh, parable as well. Once the servants go out and bring in new people, there's some guy who shows up without wedding clothes. And you're like, well, how picky is it? You know, they, can't you come casual? But the story is the wedding clothes are Christ's righteousness wrapped around you. It is given to you. So to come without it means you have thrown it away. And that that person is not allowed to stay. They are cast out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we are asked, well, first of all, we are offered to come. Wedding clothes all provided to the best event. But in this parable, you should see yourself not only as the people who are invited to come in, but also as the servants who go out and invite. It's almost like you get up at the door and you find, hey, the place is not full yet. I'll go out and ask somebody else. And I want you to realize the full gravity of what you have to give. You're not giving a church membership, like we're a club or something like that. You're not giving a cultural identity. You are giving the knowledge that leads to eternal life and saves from eternal damnation. It's nothing short of that. All the other stuff is just like, who cares, right? This matters and it matters a lot. So you go out, if you believe the message yourself, and if God gives you somebody to speak to, you speak to them, but you need to be prepared. When the invitations went out initially, they weren't all well received. And so even today, it's not always going to be well received, but you can't lose. If the person laughs at you, mocks you, yells at you, throws stuff at you, Great. For you're suffering for the name of Christ and great is your reward. Would you rather have them believe and come with you? Absolutely. But you can't lose. 
And so we just, we just need to find in the moment the motivation that's going to make us move. And, you know, it, it comes from every angle. One, we're servants. And the master said, you go. So for some of us who like to be ordered around, you go. But also, God loves these people. And God's spirit is in you. So I don't know how the love of God does not seep in. God's love seeps in. And you find that not only do you care about your salvation, you do care about other people's salvation because you love them. That includes the people you would love naturally in your family. That includes people that you barely know. That includes a complete stranger on the street. That includes a person you just have never gotten along with and you absolutely hate the guts. But you want them to have this. And if that still doesn't get it, then there is one more part. And it is kind of selfish. But when people come to eternal life and you have a role in it, those people are part of your reward. What would it feel like? What will it feel like? Let's, let's be positive about this. To be there, let's just say in heaven, and there's a bunch of other people there, and they were all people that you spoke to. Are they not valuable to you? Are you not valuable in a special way to them? So that is what Jesus' story teaches us and instructs us to do. It doesn't get any bigger. It doesn't get any more serious. And we're blessed to be involved in it. Not on the outside waiting. May God give us the opportunity, the love, the obedience, the eagerness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to take advantage of it ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.